Hi, I'm Carrie, and I'm a tutor at LSAT. You can also find me on my own site at lsatmaven.com. I'm an alum of the University of Michigan Law School. I practice communications law at a big firm in D.C. right out of law school, but I've been tutoring the LSAT full-time throughout my daughter's school years, coming up on seven years now. Before diving into answering questions, I wanted to introduce myself and talk a bit about my approach. I think there's room for both method and intuition on the LSAT, and a combination of both is the best. Being clear on what the question is asking you and what your job is will save you time and get you started down the right path. But if you don't truly understand the argument and how it's being made, you'll have a hard time telling the difference between answers that sound similar. When I explain questions for you, I want to model the way I think these things through, and I hope that'll help you see what I mean. I'm going to continue working through the section Anita has started in this podcast series, but if you have any specific questions you'd like me to answer, please reach out to me at carrie at lsatmaven.com. Let's take a look at question five in section two of LSAT prep test 19. The first thing I do when I'm looking at a logical reasoning question is read the question stem because I want to know what my job is. Um, so here, which one of the following, if true, most helps to resolve the apparent discrepancy in the information above? Okay, so I would call this a discrepancy question. You'll also hear these referred to as paradox questions. The LSAT doesn't really use that word paradox very frequently anymore. It's more common on older tests, but the type is the same. What they're doing is they're presenting you with two pieces of information. It's surprising that they're both true at the same time, and your job is to pick an answer that explains how these two things can both be true at the same time. This question type is not considered to be an argument-based question. So what that means is the paragraph, the stimulus, is not an argument like most logical reasoning questions are. Because of that, I don't need to do the same kind of analysis I have to do for argument-based question types. And that's really why I want to know what my job is ahead of time by reading that question stem first is because honestly it saves me time. If I don't read the question stem first, I tend to approach every stimulus like it's an argument and specifically a flawed argument. And I'll waste a bunch of time trying to pick apart, you know, pick out the different components of the argument, uh, try and find a flaw. Well, that's a big waste of time if they're only asking you, you know, what's the conclusion? Or in this case, discrepancy, right? There's not even an argument here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the paragraph. I know what to expect. There will be two pieces of information. It'll be surprising that they're both true at the same time. Often I'll have some sort of intuition about what's going on here, but not always, right? And so I don't sweat it. If I, I might pause a beat and, and stop and think, you know, what could be going on here? But if it doesn't come to me, don't sweat it, go to your answer choices, evaluate them one at a time, and just ask yourself, does this help me make sense of the paragraph? Does this help me understand what's going on? So the stimulus here says, adults who work outside the home spend on average 100 minutes less time each week in preparing dinner than adults who do not work outside the home. But contrary to expectation, comparisons show that the dinners eaten at home by the two groups of adults did not differ significantly with respect to nutritional value, variety of menus, or number of courses. Okay, so my first piece of information is that adults who work outside the home spend a lot less time preparing dinner. 
That's one piece of information. My other piece of information is that those dinners they're eating at home are not really different than the dinners that are being prepared by people who spend more time cooking. Okay, so what could be going on here? Well, what it sounds like to me is that the meals that the adults who work outside the home make are actually very similar to the meals people who don't work outside the home make, which indicates to me, oh, maybe the trick here is that those adults who work outside the home just aren't eating at home as often, right? So they're spending 100 minutes less time each week in preparing dinner at home because they only prepare dinner at home certain nights a week. And then those nights a week when they do cook dinner at home, it's pretty similar to what the other group is making. So that's what I have in mind. And now I'm going to look at my answers. A, the fat content of the dinners eaten at home by adults who do not work outside the home is 25% higher than national guidelines recommend. I don't care about this answer, right? This is completely irrelevant to me, right? I already know that the nutritional content is pretty similar between the two groups. Telling me it's higher than national guidelines is just not relevant. So I feel good in crossing out A. B, Adults who do not work outside the home tend to prepare breakfast more often than adults who work outside the home. Okay, so B sounds interesting because it's at least telling me that the people who don't work outside the home prepare food more often. But the problem here is that B is about breakfast. And my stimulus is only about dinner. It's not about meals in general. It's it's specifically about dinner. So B is not the answer, I can cross it out. C, adults who work outside the home spend two hours less time per day on all household responsibilities, including dinner preparation, than do adults who do not work outside the home. Okay, I don't really care how much time these adults spend on other kinds of household responsibilities. Even though, yes, they're including the dinner preparation in that answer choice, I already know the dinner preparation piece. I already know they spend less time on dinner preparation. Um, so I don't really care that they also spend less time on, on other chores. So I'm going to cross out C. D, adults who work outside the home eat dinner at home 20% less often than do adults who do not work outside the home. Bingo. That's what I was thinking about, right? I was thinking about, hey, the fact that they spend 100 minutes less time each week in preparing dinner at home, but when they do prepare dinner at home, the meals are very similar, that probably indicates that they're just cooking dinner at home less often, right? So when they do cook dinner at home, they're cooking pretty similar things, but they just don't do it as much. And that's exactly what D is telling me. So I would feel really good about D at this point, keeping that for sure. Now let's look at E. Adults who work outside the home are less likely to plan dinner menus well in advance than are adults who do not work outside the home. Okay, E doesn't really do anything for me because I already know that they end up cooking very similar meals. Um, telling me a way that they're different in terms of planning doesn't really help me understand what's going on with this difference in meal preparation time. So I'm not interested in E. I feel very good about D. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Again, you can get me at carrie at lsatmaven.com.